amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. Our economy is on the move. This morning, we learned that in October, our economy created 531,000 jobs, well above expectations. We also learned that job growth over the prior two months, August and September, was nearly 250,000 more jobs than previously thought. In total, the job creation in the first full nine months of my administration is about 5.6 million new jobs a record for any new president. So there you go, Robert. Happy days are here again. Uh, I remember those days of pouring over. I still do read them, pouring over the Bureau of Labor Statistics yeah. riveting news release, mostly to find out at the very end how wrong they got it in the previous two months. Uh, yeah. But yes, the jobs reports. Careful what you wish for. We have to go take a trip down memory lane here for instructive purposes. And who best to look back and forward with than the great Amy Walter of The Cook Report with Amy Walter. Amy, good to see you. Hi, David. Hey. Hi, Robert. How are you? Hey. So here's the thing, Robert. You, we, you looked at, and I did too, these jobs reports each month when we were in the middle of the horrific recession in 2009, 2010, looking for rays of hope. And then I'd look at polling and focus group reports, and like they said two different things. Right. And we'd run out there and we'd say, hey, the economy's really picking up, green shoots and all of that. Oh, and, God, don't say green shoots. And everybody everybody basically gave us the finger and said, we don't feel it. Right. We don't feel it. So, you know, jobs are up. The stock market is way up. Vaccinations are up. And Biden's numbers are down. Yeah, and David, I think you touch on it. I mean, I just don't think, I mean, look, I think these are more informative for economists that are thinking through Fed policies and whatnot. I think it's just a very, we're, we're in a very different economy. And I think the real people's lives just aren't as impacted by the ups and downs of the monthly jobs report. And, and you know, you and I've talked about this. I mean, the news that came out today, wholesale prices rose 8.6% year over year in October, tied for the highest ever. Right. So that's the that's, I think, the place people are living is a world in which the goods and services they want yeah. are either more expensive or harder to get. Yeah. Um, supply chains are a mess. We've yeah. been told for months that turkeys and Thanksgiving and Christmas presents are going to be hard to find. Yes. And you people know, care about that. No, listen, uh, well, I told you, you and I talked earlier today, you know, right. uh, I stopped by and filled up my tank yesterday in Chicago. 409 or something a gallon uh and i'm standing there and i'm watching the numbers go up on the pump that's how people judge the economy they watch the numbers go up on the pump they watch the numbers go up on the on the cash register at the grocery right. store amy uh i just uh, someone sent me a focus group report of groups that, that went on the night of the election in virginia beach uh with um voters in virginia and this is one line that just backs us all up. These late deciding voters express frustration with a confluence of current events that reflect negatively on President Biden, including high gas prices, supply chain issues, worker shortages, the handling of Afghanistan divisions in the country, and for some vaccine mandates. While they don't hold the president fully responsible for every issue, he does bear some brunt of this dissatisfaction as the country's leader. I mean, we've all been through this before, right, and watching presidents coming in at a challenging time. The difference in this case, I think for so many voters was the sense that Biden was gonna be different because he campaigned as being so different, right? He was gonna return us to normal. He was gonna be the polar opposite of Donald Trump. And he had the benefit 
of coming in at a time when we had vaccines and it only looked like we could go up from here, right? Like now all we got to do, I remember thinking, okay, all they have to do now, if you're the Biden administration, get these vaccines, distribute them, make that go seem as seamlessly as possible and everything else sort of falls into place, right? People get vaccinated, optimism goes up, spending goes up, and it did happen through like June. Yes. And then it didn't. Yeah, no, I think this is a huge thing. And that's what people are saying. My focus, the focus groups I've been sitting in, there's one woman who keeps sticking with me and she was a Biden voter. Um, you know, one of those not enthusiastic Biden voters, but Biden voters. And she said, you know, I just thought things would be better by now. And I think that's what it is, that the that the rug got pulled out from us, right? That I remember that so well. Like my kid got vaccinated in the the late what what it what what was it? Late spring, early summer. He was gonna be back in school. I was gonna get to see my family. We were gonna yeah, like it yeah. was a hot vac summer. I was taking my mask off. And then. Yeah. No, I think. And that hit just at the as that Afghanistan exactly. uh, thing unfolded. Exactly. And you can see it if you look at where the lines cross on Biden. It's like mid-August right. uh, when, when all this was going on. So, Robert, he, he passed the big infrastructure bill uh, finally on Friday or the Congress passed it. The House passed it. It wasn't pretty. Uh, there, there's a lot of angry people on both sides. Um, you wouldn't want to be the, uh, you, you know, you or maybe you know, you talk about jobs. There may be one for a, a taster at the, uh, at the House Democratic Caucus these days. I don't know, but the fact is, you look at headlines, uh, and it's you know, seventeen tr- billion dollars coming to to Illinois for projects. Ten billion dollars coming to Michigan for projects. Every state is going to see this infusion, and presumably some of it's going to happen rather quickly. Uh, you think this this will have a material effect? I think it's hard to see that it's going to have a huge lift. Uh, I think there are certainly aspects of the legislation that may. Um, but look, I, you know, I mean, building a road isn't like a isn't like a two week process or filling the potholes and um, so I, I think it, it's going to take a little bit of time uh, for all of this to bubble up. I mean, you and I remember, um, you know, having all those people tell us shovel, shovel ready, shovel ready, yeah, they, shovel they, ready <laughs> projects. I mean, they they, sh- they shoved those shovels up right where the sun don't shine, as well, far as we were concerned. Yeah. And the truth is, I mean, sure, you can you can pull out the shovel. They just don't tell you it's going to take six months to finish the whole thing or longer. So I, I think this will be look. I do think a cloud lifts a little bit in the sense that people look at Washington and say, okay, finally something's getting done. They've put aside whatever they were arguing about that I didn't understand before, and they got something done that we all wanted to get done. So yeah. I think that's a good thing. I think, you know, the, the challenge now is, you know, reconciliation has to get done. And, and look, the process has fully and completely overwhelmed any of the substance of this. People that are paying attention are watching a debate about a number of how much money we're going to spend. And something called reconciliation that right. no one understands. Well, if, you know, it, it, if you're a Catholic, you all of a sudden just became a lot more nervous. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it, it's this idea that, that we're going to this debate over these huge numbers. Nobody can wrap their head around not what's in the legislation. And so, look, I think there's good news and bad news for the Biden administration. The good news is the midterm elections didn't happen last Tuesday. <laughs> the bad news is they're going to the, happen next year. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, 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 and the bad news is changing that overall political environment is extraordinarily difficult. I think it is possible to see to, to some degree what, what Amy described as what we felt in kind of June in the beginning of July, an economy that feels like it's working because prices are, are, are going back down. It's easier to get things. It's easier to get services. Um, you know, the vac- vaccination levels are up because now five to 11 year olds, boosters, all this sort of stuff. I think it's, it's likely to see that that is in a better place. Supply chains are better. Yeah. It's just not altogether clear yeah. to me 
that the president gets to dictate the timeline of that. Yeah, no, Amy, Amy, uh, just to what Robert's saying, it feels like a lot of things have to happen here. Uh, it has, to, you know, the economy has to take off in a way that people feel in their lives, which means the inflation is better, the supply chains are unstuck and all of that. That's the, to me, the challenging part for the administration. You heard the president try to do it when he was taking the victory lap on the infrastructure bill, which is linking this legislation to making an impact on the things that people are feeling today. Yeah, yes. And so he says, this is going to ease inflationary pressure. Really? Yeah. I, tell me how that's going to happen. It's, it's true. It will ease inflationary pressure to have our supply chains unclogged, but you're not going to build a port or a road to put a truck on by Christmas, right? You're not going to be able to do many of these things that the infrastructure bill will eventually do in the immediate. So that to me is the challenge. And I know you guys have seen these polls too, but when I think it was CNN came out yesterday with the quest, the all important question, do you think the president, the administration is focusing on the problems that matter most? Yeah, the 58% problems no. Said yeah. no. And yeah. we've seen that the navigator polling showed similar results. And so you just see this disconnect. And the sense I get from focus groups isn't that they're angry at Biden, like a, oh, he's terrible. He's doing, you know, he, the, the, the sort of just visceral anger toward him, as much as I don't understand why the problems that I'm having aren't getting addressed. Yeah. You know? And there is so much focus on the intramural. Yes, uh, yes. Fighting in Washington, which you're going to pick up again. Uh, now there, right. there's this bit, this this respite for the infrastructure bill having passed, but now they got to come back and deal with the 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 social spending and climate bill, the so-called reconciliation bill. Bitter divisions among Democrats uh, among, about that. We don't know. I presume they'll get that done, uh, but it's going to be more sausage making. Uh, yep. news from Capitol Hill. And, uh, you know, I wanted to ask you guys about what uh, what Abigail Spanberger said. It was widely quoted. She said, nobody elected him, meaning Biden, to be FDR. They elected him to be normal and stop the chaos. The last part was interesting to me because I do feel like people still feel like things are kind of out of control. And, uh, and they're, you know, I think it's less that they, it's less, although his negative approval, his disapproval is now much higher than his, uh, his strong disapproval is much higher than his, uh, than his strong approval. Um, you know, I, I just think they wonder, like, is he going to be able to get control of this? And the stuff in Congress sort of accentuates, yeah. uh, accentuates that. And what I hear too um, from people is normal meaning we are going to be less divided. Normal meaning we mm -hmm. weren't going to log on to our Facebook and feel instant panic like we did for the last four years, right? Like, oh God, what is Uncle Joe going to put up today? What crazy, right? Mm -hmm. Email is he going to send out to the family? And what I heard early on from voters was that was coming back, but in the form of the vax and anti-vax fighting on Facebook, right? And then you still see this deep, 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 like just anger. And it's funny, I was talking to someone today about this. You even see it in your day-to-day -day lives. I don't know if you guys are witnessing this. I know I am. Just driving has become, it feels more <laughs> um, intense than ever. People have sort of less regard. Um, people just feel, I, I guess it's the sense that there's just a level where we haven't gotten back to understanding how to how to live in society. And I, I was listening to a woman yesterday from Houston talk about the the horrible mm -hmm. concert event. And she said, you know, it's almost like we don't know what it's like to to live in community. Right. Mm -hmm. Like how we've 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 sort of missed there's something missing. And so I do think that's what people are getting at too with the normal of when we got away from Trump, we were going to get away from the divisiveness and the anger and the everything's always roiling and boiling. And we're going to uh, have to re 
you know, reimagine our friendships and our relationships with our families, that was going to end. And it doesn't feel like that's gotten better either. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. Gibbs, you ever you ever shop for insurance online? Have you tried that? Yeah, not an easy experience. It sucks. <laughs> Can I say that in an ad? You just did. Oh, there's some good news here, and that's why we're doing this ad. It's so important to have an advisor who can bring you all the facts in one place, and that's where the zebra comes in. Because the thing is, it's always hard to sort everything out. The zebra does it for you. With a zebra, you can compare car and home quotes from every major insurance company in under, get this, five minutes. Five minutes, giving you all the facts you need to make the right decision. It's the fastest way to find the right coverage at the right price and will help you find a provider, most importantly, that you can trust. In fact, the Zebra saves people an average of $922 a year on home and auto combined. Plus, they're totally independent. Their only agenda is finding the policy that's right for you. Yeah, like I said, I mean, if you've been through this process of trying to find insurance and comparing a million different options and trying to figure out what the bottom line is and so on, I have done that. And it is a disaster. It is frustrating. That's where the zebra comes in. So save time and money in minutes. Compare quotes for free at thezebra.com slash hacks. That's thezebra, T-H-E-Z-E-B-R-A, thezebra.com slash hacks. Don't change your stripes, but change your insurance. So, Robert, you look uh, you you look at what Amy just said. You look look at the Virginia governor's race through that prism, and you know uh, Terry McAuliffe was basically pushing the line that that Glenn Youngkin was by extension, a part of that whole chaos-making thing of Trump. But, you know, I, I was listening to Yunkin in an interview on Fox uh, after the election. I think I, we've got a little bit of it. So let's listen to that. Folks have gotten distracted about how to deliver for those that elect us to go serve them. And so we're going to get our taxes down. We're going to make sure our schools are going to be excellent. We're going to make sure our communities are safe. And we have a growing economy with, with great jobs for people. And, uh, you know, that didn't sound so difficult, Maria, but this is, what, this is what voters in Virginia and I think voters around the nation are speaking very loudly about, which is this is what we want from our government. And please stop getting distracted on these, all these other topics. You can sort of see, I mean, the whole interview was interesting to me because I didn't watch it day to day. But uh, he resisted. It was with Maria Bartiromo, who at every turn, you know, was inviting him to um, lash out at the left. And, uh, you know, he resisted and he stayed very close to the ground. And his whole message was, you know, people have concerns in their lives. And that's what we should be responsive to. And, uh, you know, there's a lot there's a lot to that, I think. Uh, I think he, he react he's reacting to the moment, Amy, you were describing. Look at all that. He He's addressing, you know, those are the concerns that people have, right, to the point you were making about the CNN poll. But it's also forward looking. It gives some it gives people a hopeful place to go. I, I mean, I do think and I, we said this last week and said it, you know, a lot in the last few days. I, I think he ran a forward looking campaign. You may not agree with everything he wanted to look forward to. But he he painted a vision of where he wanted to take the Commonwealth. I think Democrats got caught into showing people what it used to look like under Trump. And I think it just got harder to imagine that they want to go for something that's more forward looking and more positive. I do think writ large, the electorate is exhausted um, I think to Amy's point, I think we felt like the chaos and the crisis would leave um, and that, that normalcy, at least what we thought of as being normal, would kind of come back. And, and it really hasn't. It's it's deeply unsettled. I think about like the right track, wrong track numbers. And I think yeah. to myself, I bet there's a bunch of Democrats that think the country's on the mm -hmm. wrong track for a lot of different mm -hmm. reasons. Right. Yeah. Well, there have to be because the only you know right track numbers in the 20s. Yeah. Right crack numbers in the yeah. 20s. And so it is. So is it on the economy? Yeah. And yeah. like you, you know, you're the governing party. You're the party in charge. Those are those are really worrying yeah. uh, numbers. But hey, uh, Amy, you were on uh, you were on uh, the news hour with uh, 
our old buddy James Carville. Who, always, uh, always an adventure. Do they give out popcorn before he does an interview? Do you just sort of like, do you put your seat kind of back in recline and yes. they hand out like, can I get salt and butter on that, please? And then just like get comfortable. Yeah, there, he was, there he was in full dudgeon, sweatshirt and baseball cap. And here's what he had to say. Moving wrong was just stupid wokeness. All right, you don't just look at Virginia and New Jersey. Look at Long Island. Look at Buffalo. Look at Minneapolis. Even look at Seattle, Washington. I mean, just defund the police lunacy to take Abraham Lincoln's name off of schools. I mean, that people see that, and it it it, it it's it's just really have a suppressive effect all across the country. The Democrats. Some of these people need to go to a woke detox center or something. <laughs> Uh, one and soon of, opening in the town one of a next kind. to you, James Carville's woke <laughs> yeah, detox. He he probably is in a town next to you. He's uh, he's on the circuit all the time. But the question is, what do you guys think about that? I mean, the fact he is he is right that in many many cities, from New York to Buffalo to Minneapolis to Seattle, there was a very strong. I would have to call it a backlash to the whole uh, idea of defunding police or. Or in some way uh, changing, uh, you know, the structure, uh, and uh, you know, not surprising, homicides up thirty percent in the country last year. Uh, but the, you know, there there seemed to be a kind of pulling back uh, a little bit. How much of that? And you know, by the way, AOC, I saw said this morning that uh, no, no young person uses the word woke that's like a word that old people use but like how much is how legit is it that the the d's are just being viewed as too too much too much of a captive of the progressive left right now let's note progressive lost and centrist lost <laughs> right tara mcauliffe ran as a centrist he did not run as uh an aoc type candidate and, that's and true. he lost but he would well, but the and, race was defined and, by things that were uh, pushed by the left. And then McAuliffe did not have an answer for them, right? And that I think was also, and he he fed into it by making a, a comment. Stepping a big bucket of shit there, yeah. That's right, okay. But I would also say this is all true and it is very familiar to anybody, you guys know this quite well, who's been in the majority party. And uh, when things are not going well, writ large, all of it contributes to this um, uh, frustration with the middle to what, or independence, whatever we want to call them, to exactly what Glenn Youngkin said, that your party looks distracted by these other things instead of dealing with what people really want to get done. So I would argue if the economy were better, if the president's handling of Afghanistan were better, if people felt more confident about COVID, that Yes, Republican attempts to tie the Democratic Party to the very far left, they would still try it, but I don't think they would be as effective. It's effective when everything else feels like it's going to hell. And, oh, the reason Democrats aren't doing X, Y, and Z particularly well, bringing prices down, getting COVID under control, it's because they're captive by their leftists. And then it's easy to focus on all of the things that make people especially Republicans, make them crazy about the Democratic Party. You know, David, I think there's, I mean, what's undeniable is we've seen a shift in independent voters that were for Biden in 2020, right? I think some of that, probably a decent part of that is the exhaustion and the crisis and the fatigue that we've all just talked about, right? But I, I think, you know, to to Amy's point, and to James's point, I mean, this wasn't something that like we can't isolate this to like Loudoun County, Virginia, based on critical race theory. Th this was a this was a seismic twelve to thirteen point shift nationally, right? Which means there's something far bigger going on. Here's some numbers from uh, someone gave me from from New Jersey, where in two counties with high numbers of college educated voters, there was virtually no change. Uh, in Democratic performance from the last governor's race to this governor's race. And then uh, you go to two, two counties where there are uh, the, most, the fewest number of college-educated voters 
uh, huge, huge drop off, like 25 point shifts in one in both counties, 25 point shifts in favor of the Republicans. You saw the president of the of the uh, state Senate in New Jersey, who's from one of those areas with a lot of uh, blue collar voters uh, who uh, was beaten by a truck driver who had no who ran his who did his ads on his phone and had no money. Uh, so this is not just a Virginia thing. Something no. else is is, no. uh, is 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 going on out there. Okay, so uh, what do what what should Democrats do about this? I, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> yeah, reshuffle the deck. Uh, <laughs> ask for a new set of cards. No, I think I mean in the very short term. Uh, they're not going to redeal the hand. So I think you've got to play out the hand you have. And I, I would say this, David, I think I think it wasn't just a concession speech or two that led Democrats to get their act together late last week. I think President Biden got involved in a way he hadn't been before. And what I mean by that is I think he stopped being a senator and started being the president. Uh, and that may sound harsh, but let me describe what I mean. I think we've had endless meetings for everybody to stake out their position. I think the president finally kind of told people, look, here's what we need to do to get progress and to get this done. And this is how this is going to end. And we're going to push forward. And I think unless, I mean, he has to do that again in the Senate. He can't go back to being a senator, having a meeting with Joe Manchin, having a meeting with Bernie Sanders, having a meeting with Kristen Sinema, having a meeting. You know, he knows the contours of where this is going to end up. It's time to move people to that point because it's going to get messy again. This is going to come back to the House and it's going to have a lot less in it than what's going to pass the House. He's going to be the only person that can tell the progressives and the moderates, you're not going to get everything. You're going to get enough. So get on board because the challenge they have is they've still got to merchandise what's in this bill. No one knows. Pollsters will tell you lots of it's popular. Great. Tell me what's in it. I don't know. That's what I think. Right. Well, this is this is a problem with big omnibus bills and huge. big omnibus bills are the only way, particularly if you're doing it on a party only basis. See, the only way you can do it is through this very tortured reconciliation process process, which I've said a million times before here, is it being treated like the last plane out of Kabul. Everybody wants to get their yep. priority on the plane yep. because they figure it's the last last yep. plane there'll be, and it probably is. Right. Yep. So that's, you know, there's this, uh, b- but it, it, has, uh, it has exposed these fault lines. But, and meanwhile, no one knows what's in it. You know, it, I mean, if, if, if not for the filibuster, Democrats would be They'd welcome a debate on paid family leave. They'd welcome a debate about preschool, uh, universal preschool. But all where all they hear about is the infighting and the price tag and social spending, which a a 1.7 trillion in social spending, which you know a lot of people think, well, shit, that's not for me. And you know, this is the challenge. Not not to bring up a sore subject, but this is like the challenge that that you all had in the early days of the Obama administration, which was you were doing both healthcare and you were in still a recession. And what voters were saying was not, we hate, I mean, there were the protests and the death panels and all of the backlash to the healthcare debate, but underneath so much of it was this feeling like, wait, why aren't they dealing with the thing that's impacting me now, which is I don't have a job, which is, I feel like, you know, I lost all this money, my 401k, my house, my, lost my, my house, house my, my, yeah. all of it. And it and that it, it feels a little bit like that. The difference is it's not generating the kind of uh, anger uh, because you're talking about right programs that are generally popular. But what you see de- uh, Republicans doing right now, which what they'll do throughout the next year is making every one of those programs less popular by saying, well, it's trillions of dollars. They're going to raise your taxes. And also to your point, David, that putting everything on the last plane out means there's going to be a lot of stuff in there that is going to be easy for Republicans to say, oh my gosh, look at Democrats spending money on, you know, goat milking classes um, for whoever, or the debate about who, uh, what, what, uh, 
what sort of provisions for people who came to this country illegally, right? There's going to be a lot in there besides just the price tag. That's going to be a challenge. We should just point out to our listeners that there is, that we know of no goat milking (laughs) <laughs> goat milking provision in the legislation as, as far, of yet as, as far of yet. as you know but i will say the, the goat milking caucus has said their four members are not going to be for this unless amy's goat milking provision is that's in right this I'm, bill. A, I'm a big fan i'm a big fan of goats they're utterly outraged oh yeah. here we go uh, okay sorry God. don't anyway. get them started amy we can't, it's, <laughs> it's impossible to stop <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) Okay, let's take a break right here for a word from our sponsor, and we'll be right back. Hey, Axe. Yo. Using the internet without ExpressVPN is like leaving your laptop exposed at the coffee shop table while you run to the bathroom. I bet you leave your laptop open while you run to the bathroom in the coffee shop. And at my age, I run a lot. Well, most of the time, you're probably fine, but... What if one day you come out of the bathroom and your laptop is gone? That's the nightmare scenario. Every time you connect to an unencrypted network, Gibbs, cafes, hotels, airports, any hacker on the same network can gain access to your personal data, passwords, financial details, etc. It doesn't take much technical knowledge to hack someone. Just some cheap hardware is needed. A smart 12-year-old could do it. We all know our data is valuable. Hackers can make up to $1,000 per person just selling personal info on the dark web. Well, we've got a solution. It would take a hacker with a supercomputer a billion years to get past ExpressVPN's encryption. Ah. Because ExpressVPN creates a secure encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. Hackers can't steal your sensitive data. So fire up the app, click one button, and get protected. Phones, laptops, tablets, and more so you can stay secure on the go and acts you can go to the bathroom <laughs> at that local coffee shop and not worry. I still think I'd take my computer with me, times being what they are. But I do uh, love this aspect of ExpressVPN because I worry about this. I worry about people getting into my personal data. This is becoming a day-to-day concern. And so having that security just means a lot to me. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash hacks on tap. That's E-X-P-R. ESSVPN.com slash hacks on tap, and you can get an extra three months free, Gibbs. ExpressVPN.com slash hacks on tap. Yeah, I'm not surprised, but it was just like mind boggling that the inestimable uh, Matt Gates puts out a release or, or says a, state, a statement, you know, basically launching on the 13 Republicans who helped build the, uh, uh, pass the infrastructure bill, saying, you know, you, 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 they helped pass a, a Biden socialist program and not to be outdone, Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, accuses them of forwarding, you know, uh, Biden's communist takeover of the country. And now, I mean, uh, just play a little of this voicemail that Fred Upton got from somebody. Traitor. That's what you are. You're a piece of traitor. I hope you die. I hope everybody in your family dies. You piece of trash mother. You get the point. We get the point. Yeah. The, get pretty... the point. And, you know, the, 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 the tenor of the quotes uh, that you saw from some of these people on the Republican right was that it really didn't matter whether they were going to get their roads and bridges and broadband and all the things that are going to flow to their communities. Uh, It only mattered that they wanted to pin a defeat on Biden and that this would have screwed Biden. And therefore, and, and I actually think that's what drives people nuts about politics on both sides. This idea that at the end of the day, it's not really about what you do. It's about what you can do to the other side so that you can perpetuate yourself in power. Uh, and it's, it's fucking outrageous. Sorry. Are we, are we allowed to we're say gonna that? Have to beep, we're going to have to beep you <laughs> yeah, like right. you did with the Upton That guy call. got me into a profane mood. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the other thing too is, is they also know they're going to get their money, 
right? Like they can vote against right. Rose. And, and they'll they go out and cut ribbons, man. Right. They'll go out and send letters saying, hey, I got you a bridge. Right. Send out press I mean, releases it's just so, and all that kind it's of It's so outrageous. The and, interesting uh, thing for Republicans on this, David, is, and, and Amy, if you look at who voted for this on the Republican side, sure, there were three people that voted to impeach Trump and that aren't coming back. And th- those aren't a surprise, but like, a bunch of these are ranking members on committees. These are not junior backbenchers. These are, you know, Don Young, who's been there longer than anybody else in Congress. Um, Katko from New York, the ranking member on the Homeland Security. I mean, these are these are fairly senior members. And they're New York, New Jersey, I think, made up the right. biggest bulk of those. And it's not just because those are blue states, but because what does New York and New Jersey always need? Tunnels, right. bridges, yeah. <laughs> right? Traffic. Yeah, you know something? If I were if I were uh, strategizing for the Dems, uh, yeah, I would go hard. You know, Republicans uh, say they're going to target uh, they're going to target uh, the vulnerable Democrats around these bills that have passed. I'd go after some of these Republicans saying he voted sure. against he voted against uh, fixing this bridge. He voted against. Route 37. He voted against, you know, replacing uh, uh, pipes that we need to replace to, or improving our water system. He voted against finally getting broadband. I, I would, I would go after them for this. And that's why I think getting the other part of this done, and then I think quickly sort of pivoting, and this will be interesting because it's not necessarily what Joe Biden ran for president on. But to your point, David, it's like you have to draw this into a choice. Right. Because right now, as we've talked about, it's a referendum on Biden. Right. And Biden, who's at the top of the org chart, is the one who's absorbing all the bad stuff. Uh, And eventually they're going to have to get to I think Democrats are going to have to, as you said, put this choice in front of people in a much in a in a stark way and start to draw the line and start. The question question is, can you can you denationalize it? to the point where you can go after. And I think, yeah, Amy's shaking her head here. I think it's really hard to do, I, you know, but, uh, you know, um, and, and here's another thing. The irony of all this is some of the, some of really the, the bright lights in the, in the house are the ones who are most going to be most vulnerable. And that's always the case always. because always. the people who have to run in districts where they actually have to talk to people who don't agree with them, uh, end up being the best politicians and often the best office holders. Uh, the Spanberger is an example of yep. that. And, yep. and you know, now we've seen in the last few days really aggressive redistricting in a number of different states uh, in North Carolina, in Ohio. I think the Virginia map may, uh, may, may turn against her. Uh, so, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I mean we, I'm trying to pull out of this and get to a, a really hopeful place. Um, but we only have that. Yeah. You don't have that much time. Yeah, I know. I know. I'm searching. Help me guys. Help me. We need to figure out how we, we pull out of this. And I think it it goes back to what you said, Robert. I mean, really what is going to matter is how people feel a year from now. Yeah. And do, does Biden, he's at the low forties now, does he make a comeback? So what, what does he personally have to do? What are the, what does the white house have to do? Because there's a com- there is a communications issue here. He's heading, I think, tomorrow to Baltimore to talk about infrastructure. The cabinet's going to do that. I think a lot more, quite frankly, presidential events are going to be necessary on infrastructure and other things. I- I'd go to a I'd go to I'd go to a Republican district. You know, I'd go to a Republican state. I think they said they're going to do that. But I also think, too, I mean, to what we talked about earlier, I think they've got to probably get more. They've got to do more messaging around, you know, inflation and supply chains and ports. And look, I don't think he's got shit that touches people's lives. Right. And, and, And to be clear, I don't think there's a magic wand that's sitting somewhere in the resolute desk that he's going to solve all those things with. But I think being where people are in their economic lives and having you turn on the TV and seeing that Joe Biden is at this port and he's talking about things that they're going to do to help the supply chain or thing. I mean, I think in some ways it's, you know, you've got to be the, the messenger has to be the message. And I think you've got to get out there and I think talk about this kind of stuff. There is no magic wand, but look what I have. I have a, baseball bat. a brand new, I have a baseball bat, brand new, baseball bat that was given to me by Scott Jennings, my colleague over at CNN. It's a Louisville Slugger 
a White Sox Louisville slugger emblazoned with my name on it. And I'd be willing to lend this to them. That is very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Anyway, that was probably a digression, you think? No, but it, it, you know, I was just in Massachusetts recently and the governor there, he has the National Guard going out and driving school buses. Yes. Now, it is a little thing. You think, obviously, the president cannot have the national guard in every state driving school buses but the point although being, he said although he suggested that he was going to order the national guard to drive uh trucks trucks yeah which from the ports do, but yeah. the point is it, it is acknowledging yes, yes it's a problem yes, in our state that we yes. don't have school bus drivers and we have these national guards people and instead of stacking sand which they may need to do if there's a hurricane <laughs> let's just have them do these other things i'm an executive i'm a problem solver that's what I'm here to do. And I can also push this big agenda that is going to pay off yeah. 5, 10, 20 years down the road. Yeah, that's uh, so important. You know, I said uh, the other day that, uh, you know, I used to tell my mayors, because I worked for a lot of mayors, you can be as visionary as you want, but make sure you get the potholes filled. Make sure you get the trash picked up. Make right. sure you get people feel safe and they can get from place to place, because that yeah. is how you are going to be judged. They've got to get much closer to the ground here and much more connected if people feel good about where they are they won't be as upset or anxious or feeling as ambivalent about these other programs that the administration is trying but also to sell. if they feel like they're that he is actually connected with their correct experience um correct. you know i agree with you because i think there's some real limitations in thinking that a big piece of legislation is going to solve your big historical problems, right? So right. We, we know we know the history of midterms, right? But think about 1966 or 1982 or 2010, you know, Lyndon Johnson gets Medicare in a big part of the great society. Uh, Ronald Reagan gets a huge tax cut. Uh, Barack Obama gets healthcare reform we've been talking about for a century. None of that bails out any of the party in power in those midterm elections. Because well, yeah. to, to Amy's point, this is much more f- future looking than it is kind of that day to day. So I'm, I'm absolutely I mean, I think I think you've got to see the president be more active on those things in more places, talking about, you know, continuing to update us on sort of where we are on covid, I think is Im- important. I think there's just a lot of a lot of that that sort of has to go on because that cuts down on the chaos. OK, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. Axe, I was wondering, did you ever just want to be a better version of yourself? Every single day. And you know what? My wife wants me to, too. A more confident, knowledgeable you. The fastest way to do it is to get learning. Learning about a new topic or a skill, revisiting one you learned about in the past, or getting up to speed on something everyone is talking about right now can not only broaden your horizons and make your wife happier, Axe, but it can boost your self-esteem and your success too. Yes, sir. That's where the Blinkist app comes in. Blinkist takes top nonfiction titles, pulls out the key takeaways and puts them into text and audio explainers called Blinks that give you the most important information in just 15 minutes. Use Blinks to learn about topics like philosophy, history, and science, or dive into psychology, health, and nutrition or personal growth. You've got thousands of titles and 27 categories of the world's best knowledge to choose from. And look, X, if you're more of a podcast person, like maybe hopefully the zillions of people listening to this right now. Exactly. They've got you covered with Blinks for Podcasts called Shortcasts. Blinkist has the wisdom from top nonfiction bestsellers and podcasts packed into wonderful, powerful 15-minute reads or listens all in one app and right in your pocket so you can learn anytime, anywhere with Blinkist. Yeah, man, Blinkist has great titles, including, by the way, our old boss's book, A Promised Land, Short History of Brexit, The Future of Capitalism, all kinds of stuff, Gibbs. Right now, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience, Axe. Go to Blinkist.com slash hacks to start your free seven-day trial and get 25% off a Blinkist premium membership. That's like one quarter off. That is. I didn't even need Blinkist to do the math there. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash hacks to get 25% off, that's one quarter, and a seven-day free trial. Blinkist.com slash hacks. 
Let me ask you guys something that's been bugging me. Every time I hear people in the administration or the Congress say, this legislation is transformative. It's transformative. I, I, I wonder if people cringe about that. I don't know. I think being transformed is scary uh, to people, especially in an unsettled time. Like, I don't want to be transformed. I just want to be able to get a Christmas exactly. tree. I don't want to be exactly. transformed. I just want to get my kid to school. This is right. the Spanberger argument. This is yeah. what she's saying. And she's yep. in yeah. one of yep. those like, look, she's in a district where I think she won by 20 or 25,000 votes in a, in a year in which Joe Biden won Virginia by 10, right? Yes. She's not fighting the rapids. She's way, way, way underwater right now. And so she, that's exactly, she's intoning exactly what that is. Probably a, a different way of saying um, what James was saying, uh, you know, in a little bit different light. But I think there's, there is a, there is that sense of how do you get a hold of what seems unruly? Look, we used to do this, David, you'll remember we, we, in, in 09 and 10, when we'd get polling back in the white house, we'd ask people, you know, like, is there something in the news recently that's made you feel differently mm -hmm. or feel something about the president. And whenever that, whenever those verbatim responses felt because the world was churning faster than the government could respond, our numbers weren't as good, right? They, they just, they feel like things are out of control and maybe it's misplaced to put that much into one person. Oh, this person can just, they can like the, the earth will spin a little slower if we get him, <laughs> but that's the deal. That's what he bargained for. That's what he ran on. That's what he's being judged on. And I think it's you've got to start thinking through that as your lens of how to operate and how to react, not just getting stuck watching these back and forth debates between progressives and moderates around reconciliation, which is thousands of miles removed from people's lives. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And they have, you know, limitations. Biden Biden has limitations as a communicator. They have to deal with those. You know, there's a, there, there, there are a range of challenges. I don't, I, <laughs> listen, you and I both, we, we have the tire tracks on our butts from all those years. And I have great sympathy for the people in the White House for, because, you know, I was telling someone earlier today, you know, it, it's like being a sports fan. It's easy to sit in the stands and say, man, I can't believe he didn't hit that pitch. Right. It's like you stand up there and hit a 95 mile an hour <laughs> fastball, you know, and they're coming rapidly. And, and you know, there are always unanticipated uh, yeah. spins and so on. But this this is, I think, going to be a an important uh, period here, because not only do they have to deal with this reconciliation bill, but they have to fund the government. They have to take care of the debt. Uh, they you know, they, and there's going to be a lot of pressure uh, to do something on voting rights and other things. And it's just, it's very hard to get all of that, uh, done. So it's going to, these next, I think that this, this could be a high watermark, the, uh, infrastructure bill in some ways. As we talked about just a little bit ago, I mean, I think the challenge, the biggest challenge is there's a lot of what you just mentioned. That's just not in their control right? It's just not in their control. Us getting back to some level of normalcy is simply going to take a while. I will say this is that what you just mentioned, that there was this discussion when, when the, when the debt limit first came up, Schumer wants to hold, wants the Republicans to have to vote for the spending for Trump and is, is willing to go up to the edge. And McConnell sort of blinked, but basically said, look, I'm giving you one extension to get your shit together but I'm not going to be here. And I would say this, if I was a, if I, if I was up on Capitol Hill, I would tell Pelosi and Schumer tuck some sort of debt increase into this reconciliation bill. Even if you've got to go through a couple of votoramas to change the reconciliation bill, if they let this become a thing that dominates the news for a week and potentially we, you know, we get it to the cusp of default and the stock market starts doing crazy stuff and it leads the news that's not going to help people feel like things are getting back to normal, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, Republicans should 
bear some responsibility for the money that they voted on spending for the last five years. And it would be great if we were in a political science class and we could have that discussion, but it's not how the world works. Tuck it into the bill, get this done, take the vote and not have it take up 10 days right around Christmas where people go, what on earth are those people doing again? Yeah. Well, one good bit of news for Democrats is that Governor Sununu up in New Hampshire said today he's not going to run for the U.S. Senate, which uh, was a big fear of Democrats and a big hope of Republicans. Uh, Senator Maggie Hassan is up for reelection. That's a tough state, and it, it is doesn't necessarily guarantee uh, her reelection, but it sure takes out a guy who was far and away the best candidate the Republicans had. So take that as you will. Yes, I do think it it was expected, you know, after especially after New Jersey and Virginia that the floodgates were going to open, right? That money recruitment would just be going all one way, which is towards Republicans. Now, in an environment that we're in right now, you don't need a governor Sununu, someone who has as strong of a name ID and and political operation as Sununu in order to win in a state like New Hampshire as a Republican. You can be a second tier candidate and still win. But in a, if indeed the president is able to kind of get his bearings and get back closer to 50% and instead of closer to 45%, um, that, that could matter. And the candidates, we just started the conversation today, David, about how much candidates still matter. Yeah. And in a very, very and and, and campaigns state. and campaigns, and campaigns yeah. Yeah. you know, yes, but uh, headwinds for sure. Yeah. If you were, if you were, you know, Republicans are upbeat today. They got reason to be upbeat. It's they a dynamic be. environment, so we'll see where we are a year from now. But for now, we have some anxious listeners waiting to hear if their letter is going to be chosen. It's listener. I can sort of feel that up there with gas prices. Like it, you can feel the tension in the country. Yeah. Well, look, it's a smaller cohort, but nonetheless, this is a source of anxiety for them. And we're about to answer your questions and you'll know in an instant. So Robert Gibbs. Hit me. Here it comes. Are you ready? A little drum roll, please. No drum roll. We were having trouble hiring a drummer. <laughs> Yeah, we we got we we're having staffing shortages too here. Yeah, yeah. it's a so problem, a drum yeah. issue. Kip says Murphy said in the last episode that progressivism is a dud or something to that effect. Axe Gibbs, in this case Gibbs, do you agree or is it more a matter of how progressivism is messaged? First of all, Kip, you, you one piece of advice that David and I should give you is stop listening to whatever Murphy says <laughs> on this podcast. Uh, yeah, he's he's a crazy man. And no, I would take this a couple of different ways. I mean, I do think there are some big big ideas that Bernie Sanders' wing of the and the progressive wing of the party have proposed trying to do that leave people very concerned and don't have the type of support even among the democratic electorate to have happen. So like, for instance, this played out recently in the democratic primary in, in 2020 and Joe Biden ran on strengthening healthcare reform that had passed during the Obama administration. Bernie Sanders ran on, we got to have a whole new healthcare system. And even for Democrats, that was too much. That was too far. And so I do think there's, you know, we talked about it a little bit in this in 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 the podcast itself. This idea of transformative is can be scary. It sounds big when we throw around numbers like three and a half trillion or something like that. It becomes a little bit murkier, maybe even a little scarier. So I think it's important. Um, to think through the specifics of what they're trying to do and to do it in a way that lives where people live. I don't, I, I, I think there's ways to provide healthcare and, and, and insurance and whatnot for people without an entirely new healthcare system that they have a hard time wrapping their head around and imagining. And I think sometimes going too big is going too far. Yeah. Let me just say, 
There are lots of elements of what would be called the progressive platform that are really, really popular. Uh, you know, Bernie Sanders wanting to add uh, hearing aids and, and vision and dental to Medicare is a pretty popular idea. Uh, you know, a paid family leave is a popular Raising the minimum idea. wage. Yeah. Raising the minimum wage is a, a popular idea. You know, uh, universal preschool is a, you know, these are popular ideas. And yeah, I think your point is exactly right. Uh, stress the solutions to practical problems that people are having. Be uh, responsive. Uh, you know, big is not necessarily best. Uh, responsive uh, is best. Amy, Matt. Matt, Ma hi. Ma Matt wants to know, from what I can tell, ranked choice voting seems to favor Democrats and their big tent. After listening to your most recent podcast regarding Virginia's governor's race, I'm wondering if ranked choice would be appealing to moderate Republicans when voting in their primaries. Does ranked choice make sense to you guys? Just give them a word. Give our listeners a word. I know they're super smart, but for those who about what ranked choice voting is, yeah. So you know, the theory of ranked choice voting is that it does make it easier for a more moderate candidate whether it's moderate and temperate or moderate in ideology to make it out of a crowded primary because you as a voter rank your top your all of the choices on the ballot from one to how many candidates there are and a candidate ultimately has to get to 50 percent to get to 50 percent though you have to be a you have to be somebody's second choice or maybe even third choice right so you can't alienate entire swaths of the electorate and still win with a plurality. You have to build a broad coalition and that in essence makes you uh, more of a quote unquote moderate. Now, it doesn't always work out exactly as planned. It depends a lot on the city that you're running in or the place that you're running in and, and, your, and your opponents. But you know, we look at New York City and we see that the more sort of moderate candidate in um, in the New York City mayor's race ended up getting uh, elected thanks in the primary, thanks to this. Now, Glenn Youngkin had two things going for him. The first was it was a convention, not a primary. So it was limited to people who actually showed up. And this was during COVID. So they showed up literally in their cars to vote, right? They did this in basically parking lots all over the state and then also had ranked choice voting. So. What we know going forward in 2022, for example, is that there aren't other opportunities for Republicans to nominate their candidates the same way, at least not in federal races. And so you're going to get in drawn out primaries, most likely, especially in these competitive states, where it's gonna be harder for a moderate, a non-Trump endorsed candidate, a candidate who is trying to keep some distance between him or herself and sort of the, the, the Trumpian wing of the party, it's going to be harder for them to win. Now, will Republicans say, oh, this is going to be really important for us. We should do more of this ranked choice voting. I think what's challenging about ranked choice voting is that if you are a primary voter or you're someone who's active in party politics, this directly threatens you and your hold on the party and your influence in the party. So if I'm committee person X, or if I'm, you know, running the state party in whatever place, I don't know that I liked ranked choice voting because it, it makes it a much more fluid situation and it really takes away my power. The best, most important way, I think, for voters to feel more engaged in this process or to feel like the left, very far left or the very far right hasn't taken over is for people to actually show up and vote in regular primaries. You guys know this. What's turnout in a primary? It's like 5%. Low. Yeah, well, it's maybe higher than that. Yeah, but low. Yeah, but low, in low. some of these, especially a house race, and it's true, yeah. some of these are just really dark red or really dark blue districts. So you're not going to change who gets elected in November, but you could impact just a thousand more people, 5,000 more people voting could have an impact on the kind of red or the kind of blue candidate you send to Washington. So uh, again, some states are going to be able to do this. Others, Maine, for example, 
they are doing ranked choice voting, but only on the federal level because the state constitution, according to the state Supreme Court there, does not allow for ranked choice voting. That comes from a, a, a member of the Colby College, Maine, an alum, an member alum, of the board. Very proud. She's a, yes. Nobody knows more about Maine than Amy <laughs> Walter. Hey, Gibbs, you got, one, you got one for me? I do have one for you, and, and, and it comes from Tennyson. Oh, yeah. Man, Tennyson, I love your poetry. And, and let me just say this. If you're thinking of crafting a question, combine a really cool name with a good question, and David will take it like <laughs> you have baited the hook, and he is swallowing it, right? It, it didn't matter. Tennyson could have written in hieroglyphics, and we probably would have tried to read it. All right, so here's Tennyson's question. Is there a way that Biden should capitalize on the fact that six of the most left-leaning House members voted against the bipartisan infrastructure framework? Is there a way Biden can use that as a way to demonstrate that he isn't a headstrong progressive? First of all, I see this question says the fact that six of the most left-leaning House members voted against the BIP. Now, I think it's the BIF, the bipartisan infrastructure bill, but it just it's just an example of why uh, Washington acronyms are so stupid and impenetrable. It's the notorious BIP. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. That's oh very. You're showing your age. You are showing your age. <laughs> it's better wow. than it's better than better than copying to my actual age. I fear. That's uh, why we sit on these bar stools and talk all day. Anyway, look, I I think this. You know, the Biden has been walking a a line. Right. He got elected. And I quite agree that he got elected because he was seen as a, a kind of a moderate figure, uh, kind of a center left Democrat. He's also, try, you know, he was not the candidate of the left. He was the object of suspicion. And he's worked very hard to keep the left on board. And therefore, he's been uh, reluctant uh, to uh, pick fights uh, with the left. And I think he'll be reluctant to do that here. Um but, uh, you know, but uh, but the but it's a logical question from a strategic standpoint, because the people he's losing are uh, in large numbers are independent voters uh, who probably would be impressed by him showing some independence from factions within his own party. But he has to hold his party together. So I'm guessing no. Do you buy into the theory, either of you, though, that if let's say Biff and B-B-B pass right so we're we'll call it that and now everything's done the plane is left 2022 is all about messaging and positioning for the midterms that he then starts to stake some ground on things like critical race theory or taking names off of buildings um yeah. and he does that in a way that sends a clear signal this is where the this is the democratic party and and does it does it work does it work a and b do you believe that then what progressives will say is yeah now you're going to depress the base for election that's certainly what they'll say and in fact in virginia uh, one of the problems was that there was a lower turnout uh among young people for example uh, at least according to the exit polls isn't that uh, always going to be the case like, yes you in pass, promise. yeah, you yeah. I, I absolutely believe things. that yeah. I, I i believe that that would be uh, the argument. I think that uh, there, it, it would make some sense for him to kind of just return to his roots here yeah. and reestablish yeah. uh, who he is. Right. By the way, isn't Biff the name of a like? Doesn't that sound like the name of the, the like the the head of the football player, head of the? Fraternity? It was a Back to the Future. Biff. That was the, back was the, to the bad future guy. guy. Yeah, oh, yeah. that's it. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. it. Now you're dating yourself. To your question, Amy, though, I do think. Look, I think the the code that he pushed back on that helped him in 2020 was defund the police, right? That was his yeah. sort of... Well, and socialism, remember? Yeah, and socialism. Yep. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I think that will be important. Look again, and I said this a second ago, we had this debate, right? So progressives can argue, argue you're going to depress the base. People aren't going to show up for the election. What happened in the 2020 primary? There weren't enough of... The, did, did, did they not get sufficiently excited about Bernie Sanders? Or are there just simply not enough of them to right. win in the Democratic primary? I think the answer is much more the latter. Yeah, but they would argue, Robert, that the, in the general election is what they're talking about will will 
progressives come out for a Democratic candidate in the general election. And in 2020, they came out because Donald Trump represented an existential threat. Now, good news, if that's your argument, because Donald Trump may be back in 2024. But here's the real thing I think is very dangerous. Look, I I think they can, to to the question we just asked, I, I don't think he positions himself off of those six votes on infrastructure. But I think it's a little dangerous to listen to members of the 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 those six that are voting who, you know, AOC went out and corrected him, yes, the president yesterday on, oh, you know, he's saying we're going to replace all the lead pipes, but he should be honest with people that that's not what we funded. I mean, I don't see what that serves. Yeah. Right. I don't yeah. see. Well, and, she said and, we, you're not going to fix all of them is what she said. I agree with you. I agree with you. That ends up being the question. Are you going to I mean, I, I think you could make a case that those six thought they could get something that was perfect rather than something that was very good. And if, if people are going to hold out for perfect, it's not going to end well. All right. But we have to end well. We, we have, have to, to end, end well, well now. right now. We do. Yes. We do. Yeah. Amy, Walter, it is always a pleasure. So much fun. To bat the ball around with you. I've got my Louisville slugger right here. And uh, we hope you'll come back soon. Thank you. And I'll get a bat. If you can get me a bat (laughs) for my mom, who is, she will tell you, she's the number one White Sox fan in America. Oh. So. Okay. Well, we'll talk offline about that. All right. Yeah. All right, guys. See you. See you next time. Do you have a bat from the World Championship Atlanta Braves? Do do they have a bat? Do you? All right. right. We we have to go. Yeah, we really have to go. We can crow about this some other time. Bye, guys. Bye. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.